The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difbham.com. That's difpbham.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, and this is episode number 15 of the series. And it's uh, wild to think that when we began the series back in August, that episode 15 would be recording with no sports. Just last week, amid concerns for the COVID-19 coronavirus. It all began with sporting events being announced that they would be played without fans in attendance. That included the NCAA basketball championships, March Madness, the tournament in Atlanta, being played in Mercedes-Benz without fans. And then after that, certain teams began to pull out of the tournament. And then it was soon announced that the tournament would be canceled. All remaining winter sports, all spring sport championships were canceled. And then after that, leagues began suspending spring championships and spring seasons for the rest of the year. The Ohio Valley Conference announced last Thursday that they would be suspending play throughout the rest of the academic season with chances of possibly looking to get started back at a later date. And then just early this week, the OVC announced that the remainder of the season had been canceled. And so sadly, no NCAA tournament, no College World Series, and no OVC championships this year. Uh, One bright spot that did come out of it, though, was that the NCAA has announced all student-athletes participating in spring sports would be receiving an extra year, somewhat of a redshirt year, so that they get that year back and so that they're not cheated out of a year of competition on the field, the golf course, the court, whatever surface they play on. And not to harp on the coronavirus too much, as I know it, is filling your news feeds, your news channels, everything you hear is uh, coronavirus-related, but thought that it was very important that we talk to Athletic Director Greg Seitz to give us an update on the state of Jacksonville State Athletics. As you know, as some of you may know, all non-essential employees are now working from home. The university is now on a full online format, and so there's a, a limited number of students on campus, none meeting in the classroom, and all competition and practice, formal practices, even uh, down to travel for recruiting has been suspended by the league and the school. And so things are kind of at a standstill right now. And I thought that it would be a good idea to get Greg Seitz on here to give us an update and tell us where everything stands. And then later, after Greg's interview, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jeff Ryan, who is a professor in the university's emergency management doctoral program, to give us an update on 
how the university's doing, to give us an update on students that have not been feeling well, those students that have been tested, luckily, those students' uh, tests have come back negative. And so Dr. Ryan will give us an update, tell us a little bit about himself, his background, what his task force is doing to head up this coronavirus pandemic, and to tell you what to do to stay safe. And then if you are feeling symptomatic, what you need to do in order to take care of yourself. And so I don't feel like that I can give you much more myself. I'm not an expert on any of these things. And uh, within the last week, whenever everything started happening, last Thursday when the tournament was canceled and leagues started to suspend the rest of their seasons, I kept fairly quiet. I didn't feel like there was anything that I could say that hasn't already been said. In one single tweet, I simply said, I feel terrible for our student-athletes. I believe the NCAA will do what it takes to make it right for those student-athletes, and they've already taken those steps, getting that extra year back for student-athletes who are missing out on spring sports. This pandemic, obviously, don't panic, but please take it seriously. It's uh, something that is very serious, is affecting the entire world. And then for those that are affected, please pray for them and their families. Not to be too gloom and doom, Dr. Jeff Ryan and Greg Seitz both have very positive outlooks going into this. I hope that you enjoy both of their interviews. They're both very insightful, carry a ton of information. So first, Greg Seitz is going to lead us off, and then Dr. Jeff Ryan is going to close it out. Joined today by Athletic Director Greg Seitz. And Greg, you were my first guest on the podcast, and we're meeting for a second time. And I wish it were under uh, better circumstances. Yeah, I tell you, just the uh, the last week that we've experienced, Tyler, is uh, you know, is really just a just a punch a punch in the gut uh, Thursday once everything shut down. But you know, you just feel for all of our student athletes, coaches and staff, and the fans, and just the hard work that those student athletes have put in all year. Uh, you hate to see it just to come such an abrupt end. Uh, at the OVC basketball tournament, I was talking with Commissioner Beth DeBush, and one of the things I asked was, uh, was this coronavirus a threat something that we were talking about and this was I think maybe before it might have been right after Washington State had a, a few cases pop up and she said oh yeah it was definitely something that we'd been looking at and you know figuring out if we we're going to have fans at this and you know kind of stuff like that and nothing had really blown up yet and the OVC tournament was able to uh, finish up since it's one of the first tournaments in the nation and uh Obviously, there were a few tournaments that didn't get finished. The SEC, a, a lot of people in our region think about. And then, like you were talking about, the, the day that sports stopped was uh, last Thursday. And like we were talking about, the last release I wrote was a tennis release. And then 10 minutes later, we put out the OVC's announcement that they were suspending sports for the rest of the season. And then since then, it's beneficial that the OVC has canceled the remainder of the spring sports season. So we're living in unprecedented times as far as sports go we really are and it's uh it, you know it's it's amazing because society is so used to sports and you know just the excitement of march madness which should um you know today is tuesday so it should tip off tonight with the first four in dayton and uh you know it's amazing just within a week's time how, how all the circumstances have changed and you know it's certainly for the health and benefit of of everyone involved but it's just amazing how things just really changed within the last week I know whenever everything began to get canceled and postponed, uh, the big question was whether student-athletes, especially seniors, would get an extra year, redshirt year, to come back next year. And as I understand it, that's something that is being done or is at least in the works right now. 
It was. So uh, just before lunch on last Friday, which was March 13th, we did receive an email from the NCA that said that the NCA had agreed to grant relief for the use of a season of competition for the student athletes who had participated in the spring sports. So we know there's going to be several issues that need to be addressed in providing that additional season of competition. But, you know, the news, they did help our coaches that day because that was the day we had our head coaches meeting on that Friday at 1 o'clock, so was able to share that. Then most of our head coaches, Tyler, they went ahead and met with their each individual teams. And I'm sure you've seen some of our local media, especially the Addison Star, um, you know, they, I mean, um, you know, Mark Edwards was there when, you know, Coach Case kind of received the news on Thursday that, um, you know, all the spring sports and winter sports championships have been canceled. So at least, uh, you know, from that 24-hour period when it was basically everything shut down, at least for, uh, you know, those kids, it's, um, you know, it's at least it's something that they know, especially for the seniors, as you said, they can come back. But, you know, this will really affect all of those kids. So if you were a freshman, obviously you'll remain a freshman next year. So certainly we have some – the NCAA has some logistics that we need to work through as far as scholarship count limits, roster limits, uh, some of those things and, and how that will transpire. But – at least uh, if there is one bright spot for those kids, they will have an opportunity to come back. Now, some of them may, you know, they may already have plans if you're looking at, uh, you know, some kids may be draftable uh, in baseball and, you know, will go ahead and continue their major league career. They're not going to shut down the major league baseball draft just because the NCAA didn't get to play their uh, spring sports championships. But for the majority of the, of the participants and student athletes, they'll have an opportunity to play. Head baseball coach Jim Case said that meeting with his guys and telling them that the season was suspended and then ultimately canceled was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do for you. Was that one of the hardest AD to head coaches meetings that you've ever had? Yeah, it really was. You know, we were, um, you know, we're coming up on the anniversary of our tornado from two years ago. So the thing about the tornado, Tyler, that, you know, it really just impacted Jacksonville State University. So it, it I mean, it was, uh, you know, a regional a regional thing that we dealt with just on our campus, well, with the, with the COVID-19, I mean, it's every, it's, I mean, it's the entire world. It's not just, you know, in the South or Alabama or the, or the USA. I mean, it is, it is, it's global. And so, you know, everybody is impacted for that, but it was a very, very difficult um, uh, meeting just because you, you felt, because, you know, these kids and coaches, I mean, uh, you know, they work all year long in order to, to compete for, uh, first a conference championship, then get the opportunity to go to the NCAA postseason and stuff. But another bright spot is uh, an advantage of the OVC playing our basketball tournament a week ahead. You know, at least those kids in our winter sports was able to go ahead and have that championship experience. And that's that's one of our goals for all of our student-athletes is we want them to have that championship experience. So, uh, you know, happy that our basketball teams were able to to go and experience it. And we had our band and pep band and cheerleaders and stuff. Cause you know, the next week they basically closed those other tournaments to the fans. And then ultimately, you know, the games got, got called off on the 12th. Is there any other event that you can think of that comes close to this? I know, I know it doesn't come very close, but anything like this that has stopped the sports world, maybe, maybe since nine 11. Yeah. Um, I would think that's probably the last time, I know it was when we had cancellations of, you know, across the entire country was uh, was the 9-11. And, you know, I remember we were in the old field house at the time. We have a staff meeting every Tuesday. 
Uh, so I had a TV on in my office and saw everything going on in New York. It was a Tuesday. I remember that. And then we were supposed to play McNeese State in football that weekend. Um, and, of course, we got canceled there for, for several weeks. And, of course, I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan, so I remember when it did start back up and New York was in the postseason there and George Bush went out and threw out the first pitch uh, at Yankee Stadium. I just I do remember of those things. But to my recollection, I think, you, I think you're right on. I think that's the last time that I can recall from a national standpoint of sports getting canceled. When you think about 9-11 and when baseball started back, you mentioned George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. And then across town, uh, Mike Piazza hit a walk-off home run against the Atlanta Braves, and that's something that which I'm a Chipper Jones fan, and he talks about that was a game he didn't mind losing because that was something that New York needed. What do you think will be the moment that when college sports returns that will be that moment that you remember is that George W. Bush first pitch or that Mike Piazza home run? What do you think will be – will it be to that magnitude when college sports starts back that that will be a memorable thing? Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, we're not talking just college sports. I mean, we're talking, you know, everything from NASCAR, which will affect our, you know, our friends at the Talladega Super Speedway to the Masters. I think just once we we get the the clear to come back and return, I think that first full week of sports, whether it's, you know, the return of the Masters or uh, return of Major League Baseball, um, you know, what that, it'll be interesting to, to see what that is. I think, you know, we'll, we'll experience that prior to the college because, well, we think. I mean, you never know because of the timeline, but from all the information that we currently know today, we feel like that, um, you know, some of these sports may be able to continue in the summer, whereas for us, our first football game uh, and soccer games are not scheduled till late August, uh, early September. One of the things that we've talked about is, obviously, classes are all online right now. Spring break has been extended a couple of days but we still have a lot of student athletes that will be staying on campus. Uh, what are we doing to keep them safe and how's those student athletes during this time? Yeah. So we discussed that extensively Friday in our meetings is, you know, Hey, what are we going to be able to do? So, you know, we know that many of our student athletes were able to go home as they live fairly close to campus, but we also had to deal with, you know, our student athletes who aren't able to get home, including our international student athletes. So we just wanted to make sure that our coaches, to make contact with the parents of our international student athletes to make sure to let them know what we're doing to take care of, of their child. You know, as you can imagine, parents are all concerned about the well-being of their kids, and we just wanted to reassure them that we are taking great care of their children. And it depends on what uh, what foreign country that the child's from. I know, for example, in men's tennis, we have three kids from Italy. Well, the COVID-19 outbreak in Italy is is far worse than it is in some of the other countries. So. Um, you know, if you're a parent and you're living in Italy, you know, I would assume you would think it's like that all over the, all over the world. Well, it's at this time, it hasn't gotten that bad in the United States. So I think just the reassurance that we're able to provide of our parents to let them know that, you know, we are taking care of them. So our dorms are still remaining open. Our cafeteria is, is, is remaining open as well. So our student athletes, um, you know, they're able to to stay and study and we provide them resources so they can, um, you know, they have access to the internet. We have some laptop computers they can check out through our academic services if they, if they do not have access to that. So we're doing everything we can to ensure that our kids are, you know, getting the education and getting taken care of, you know, as we go through the, the remainder of the semester. Because one thing you've got to remember is, you know, in order to, 
to get that year back next year, you do have to be eligible by the end of the spring semester. So that's one thing that we did strive to our coaches to tell of our student athletes, you know, don't don't let up in the classroom because it's important that you continue to remain eligible. Going back to last Thursday, whenever basically the sports world stopped spinning, um, that was a wild 48 hours. And Misty Ray, uh, I think, pinched both of us today because we weren't wearing green. And like you said, all of the days have just kind of gotten jumbled together. You're not sure whether today's Monday, Tuesday, or what it is. Uh, tell me what it's like, been like for you as far as that goes with the days running together and rather than operating on a schedule like we do in sports to where you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday is baseball, softball, what have you, what has it been like for all these days that have just been hectic? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the days they do they do all run together. I'll be honest, you know, I didn't even realize today was St. Patrick's Day, um, you know, today on March 17th. And uh, it's really started at last Tuesday, right? That was really for baseball and softball. That was the last time that they competed uh, competitively. Our softball team, we were at home. We beat Alabama State. Our baseball team had a marathon game, 15 innings over at Kennesaw State. And and we actually on campus, we were hosting the Calhoun County Baseball Tournament. And so we had a lot of folks on campus. But um, just Wednesday, we had a no VC athletic director's call very early that morning. And the things there, really, we were just, we began some discussion. Okay, what's some scheduling options if, if there is one of our t- schools that, um, you know, has a student that tests positive and if they're not able to compete. So, or if a particular, you know, has travel bans imposed by a governor, what's some of the things that we would do? So we were just, that we were really just on those stages. Now we've been talking about the, for the last month or so, because we knew that it was something that was uh, globally impactable. And so we'd been talking, um, you know, through our, OVC athletic director's calls on campus uh, and those things. But really just um, Wednesday and Thursday just really, it just, it really turned. And it was, it was incredible just because it was changing so fast. What I remember is I remember the OVC board of presidents on Thursday, they had a call at three o'clock and that's when we decided we were going to suspend for two weeks and just say, Hey, let's see what we're doing. And that was what a lot of conferences at that time was doing. Well, while they were on the call and voting at 3.15 is when the NCAA said, okay, we're canceling the uh, men and women's Final Four or the entire championship. And also they went ahead and canceled the spring sports championship. So, I mean, as the presidents were on that call, they weren't privy to this information. So, I mean, it was just incredible how, you know, you you hear things change. I mean, it was changing by the minute uh, on that day. So it was, um, you know, it's, it's just been, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of been a blur, honestly, just for the last week of everything we've had to deal with. All of the spring championships uh, and the winter championships canceled that haven't been played yet. I know you've worked the Men's College World Series before. You're on the uh, Final Four team every year. Uh, and a ton of work goes into all of those championships. And for the Final Four to be canceled, the entire tournament canceled uh, so close to tournament time, that's a lot of work down the drain, and you've got Atlanta that was going to host the tournament. Tell me about all the work that goes into that and all that prep and what it means for it to be wiped away now. Yeah, you know, you just, um, of course, we all, as you work in this business, you develop friends and colleagues throughout the country. And I have been fortunate enough to work a lot of NCA events and actually working on the serving as the 
the chair of the FCS football committee and being on the committee for four years, you know, you really get to know the staff. And, you know, I can speak firsthand of just the work, and we'll talk specifically on the FCS football. So, you know, we begin working, you know, in August, and then we start having weekly calls. And and just the work and stuff, I mean, we're spending 12 to 16 hours a week just in evaluating teams. You know, we're only in our championship, we only have 24 teams. So you can imagine from the basketball where they're trying to pick 68 teams, just the amount of time and stuff they that the committee has spent all year. And then not even talking about the championship staff and where they're talking on logistics because, like you say, I mean, they were headed in. They were in New York for selections now. So, you know, they're trying to – once selections were announced Sunday night, they were going to get teams ready to play two days later in Dayton. So, I mean, this is right out of years – years worth of work so I always remember at the conclusion of the final four you know they'll take a few weeks off but they're I mean they're doing post evaluations with the past year and then they're getting rolling on on the next year and so just uh, um, just knowing all the work and everything that so many people put in and you know the economic impact of those teams so I mean Atlanta when they were awarded this championship three or four years ago or it could have even been longer you know, just the amount of time that the local organizing committee had put in and then just the city and just the investment. And it was going to be a huge economic impact when they said, you know, on Tuesday or let's say Wednesday, they announced no fans. So now the hotels and restaurants, you know, um, you know, you bid on a thing hoping that you're going to recover a lot of that revenue back just from people coming into your city and just the national spotlight. So you just feel terrible for um, all those 16 sites that, you know, we're prepared and excited to host. I know you helped up in Nashville a couple of years ago when the OVC hosted first and second rounds in Nashville. And just the excitement around that entire event, uh, you know, at that time, they were, I mean, uh, or the OVC staff worked months and months on, on everything. And, you know, you guys came in the week of, and it's just uh, so much work that's put in. It's basically, um, you know, it's for not now, so. And then lastly, Jacksonville State, non-essential employees are all working from home. That includes me. I'm doing a lot of work from home now. Essential employees such as you, Greg Bonds, Misty Ray, you guys are still here at the office working. Uh, what has the day-by-day been like for you since? Yeah, so, um, you know, and I think it's certainly the right decision for us to make. So once we transitioned to online last Friday for all of our students, you know, everything that we're hearing out of the you know, out of the White House and out of the CDC and everything is uh, is social distancing, right? So you don't want to have groups. You know, it's even changed. I mean, um, I think two days ago it was no more groups of 50. Then yesterday we heard no, you know, don't be associated with groups of 10 or more. So, you know, that's continuing to change every day. I know we were in the cabinet meeting yesterday and I started counting when they said we had nine in the room. So, so I felt good uh, about that. But, I mean, it really it is. We just want to make sure that the welfare of our student athletes and everyone involved. The safety is certainly our utmost concern for faculty, staff, students, everyone involved. And, um, you know, as much as, you know, I've been in this is my 28th year in college athletics. I mean, hopefully college athletics get rolling again, but certainly we want to ensure the welfare of all, of all involved. Well, Greg, thanks for joining us today and giving us an update. And Maybe uh, here in the next couple of weeks, as things move on, we'll maybe uh, meet again for another update and keep our fans uh, in the loop. That sounds great. Thanks so much. 
Joined now by Dr. Jeff Ryan, uh, heading up the COVID-19 task force. You're a member of the emergency management department. This is something that you've been working on for a while now. Something that you're not alien to is managing emergencies like this. Uh, we were talking before we started that you're on the tornado task force and overcoming that. And now we've moved on to this virus. And so, Jeff, just to begin, tell me a little bit about yourself, your experience, and what your position at JSU is. Sure. Well, I uh, grew up in upstate New York, and I joined the Army after college in 1980. Uh, I was in medical research at Fort Detrick, Maryland, where I worked with a variety of pathogens to include biothreat pathogens, and um, really loved that type of work. Uh, continued to move up through the ranks, became uh, an officer, and um, took on a number of different challenges. Uh, just kind of my background in a nutshell. It's uh, infectious disease research, primarily with a focus on public health and field epidemiology, uh, kind of like a virus hunter in the field, if you will, um, but also a diagnostics developer. I developed a number of diagnostic tests that to be used for the Army for tropical diseases and for biothreat pathogens. So that's how I finished out my military career. I retired in 2002, went into the private sector for two years working for a company called Cepheid, which is a biotech company that developed the biosensor for anthrax detection in the post office. Worked on the deployment of that program and then uh, started teaching at the Center for Domestic Preparedness. I was their bio threat expert for a number of years and I found an opportunity to teach at Jacksonville State University and they put me in the Department of Emergency Management because I had quite a bit of disaster experience through my military career. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Is it accurate to say that Jacksonville State is one of the first schools to have a doctorate program in your field? Absolutely. In emergency management, we were one of the first, and I think right now we're one of only four in the world that has a doctoral degree in emergency management. Our program grew out of a need, a community need, for the chemical stockpile emergency preparedness program where the, at the Anniston Army Depot, they were incinerating nerve agents and blister agents. So the community turned to Jacksonville State University and said, can you provide training to 911 dispatchers, to emergency managers. We're the recipients of large federal grants that is gonna get the community prepared if something should happen with that incinerator. And so the university said, sure, we can do that. So training turned into education, education turned into a degree program, and we went from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree and ultimately to a doctoral degree. And we have a large program right now with roughly 225 active students in the program. With this task force that you're currently serving on, this is something that you guys have been observing for a long time, planning for, and one of the uh, things that stands out to me is that the communication has been fantastic between the university to the students to the community, that you guys have done an awesome job of getting that information out there, making people aware. How long is this plan been in the process? How long have you guys been preparing for this? Yeah, so uh, interesting. Um, we saw the, the news break from China in mid-January. It was uh, just a few days after that that I got an inquiry from the cabinet, the president's cabinet, asking if, uh, if we should be planning and preparing for this. And I said, absolutely, I'm watching it with great interest. I think it is definitely prudent for us to begin the planning process. So I sat down and wrote the initial draft of the plan on January 26th and submitted it so that they would be able to present it to the Board of Trustees. 
And then we had, of course, the task force was formed so that we could revise the plan. And ultimately, the, the goal was to test it before we had a, an incident um, that uh, we would have to actually take the plan out and use it. So that, I mean, that's ideally, that's the way planning goes. You, you write the plan and then you test the plan to see if it fails. Uh, before we had a chance to do the exercise, we actually had um, a situation that we had to deal with. As you know, we had two JSU students that had been minimally exposed to COVID-19 uh, working in a hospital in Northwest Georgia. And from that time, uh, we had to move quickly into action. That, so it wasn't uh, long after that we had developed this plan that we had a situation where we had to bring out the plan and utilize it. And uh, the plan has six scenarios in it. And so at that moment, we were in scenario number five. <laughs> and uh, so it was good to be able to take the plan out and actually to utilize it. Uh, so that we could deal with all the, uh, the issues that, that come with uh, that, that sort of information. Uh, so we didn't really have a chance to test the plan, but we had a real-life situation where we had to use the plan. And, um, and the plan didn't fail us, and that's the good thing about it, because we had a tremendous amount of involvement on the campus of all the right people from the beginning, so that everybody was well in tune with what the plan meant and what we were going to do. Those two students uh, came in contact with someone that tested positive for the virus. They were in self-isolation for 14 days. They came out asymptomatic. But then we also had a student that felt that they may have it. They were tested, and we received some good news that they their test came back negative. That's correct. So some correct terminology on that. So the, the students that were minimally exposed in a hospital in northwest Georgia, they were put into self-quarantine for a period of 14 days from the time of exposure. By the time we knew, and they knew the same day, that they had been minimally exposed, uh, six days had already passed. So they had to serve another eight days into self-quarantine. So we had to track down where they had been on campus to be sure that the instructors, the staff, the faculty, the students, everybody who would have been potentially exposed to them would at least know that this was a situation. Although they didn't present a risk to anybody else, we wanted to be transparent from the beginning. We feel that communications and dealing with facts is what everybody needs to understand and know. And so we didn't want to hide anything from anybody. And that was very important and emphasized from the president on down that this is the way we were going to roll. Since that test came back negative, right? where do we stand now on student health? We've obviously uh, gone to online classes. Yeah. Uh, spring break has been extended. Correct. Uh, where do we stand now on student health and how everyone on campus is dealing? With respect to student health, I mean, I, I'm not aware of any issues at this time that we need to be focused on. Um, you know, th there are people who have been ill and they've gone to see their doctor. And the way it, it typically has worked out is that you go with something like a flu-like illness or a respiratory illness. And when the doctor sees you or you're at the student health center, they're, they have a number of tests that they can perform to rule out. So, for instance, you get a flu test, then you'll get a mono test, then you'll get a strep test, and they'll look at all your other clinical presentations. And if for some reason all those things are negative, but yet you still fit the clinical picture of what a COVID-19 patient looks like to a healthcare professional, then they're going to order the COVID-19 test. And so 
right now we're we're good. I mean, in terms of our student population, our health is is good, um, and I, and I think in part that's due to because we're being very vigilant, and our student health center is prepared for that moment when the first patient, the first real patient, walks in with COVID nineteen. We do all the right things. We get the test into the system, and then we await the results. But that person is put into self isolation because they're symptomatic put into self-isolation and is kept away from everybody else in their environment. Um, and yet with that comes the inherent responsibility that you have to take care of that person. You have to bring them food. You have to make sure they have the things that they need. If they need medicine, somebody has to bring it to them. You don't want them going out into public to get the things that they need. So it ends up being quite a, lo a logistical challenge to support those people. Granted, this is uh, affecting campuses nationwide. It's not the first time the Jacksonville State has dealt with emergency management, and that goes back to a couple of years ago with the tornadoes of March 2018. You headed up that task force. How has this event differed from the tornadoes of 2018 and how our university responds? So, you know, here we are again in the Ides of March, right? Yeah, two years later, um, I think tomorrow, no, Two days from today is um, the actual anniversary, the two-year anniversary. So they're very different events. Um, let me break it down for you so I can get a direct comparison here. Uh, a tornado comes through in a matter of minutes, and it's over. It's done. It leaves behind a wake of tremendous physical damage. Um, the, the, the casualties are relatively small in terms of numbers. Uh, certainly what happened in 2018, March of 2018, uh, there were four people injured in the city of Jacksonville. Uh, none of them were um, amongst our campus population. They were people that were driving around through the community when it struck. We were very fortunate that it was spring break, um, but it left nearly $100 million worth of damage and a tremendous disruption to campus facilities and programs, academically and otherwise. We, we were hurting in many, many ways. But by and large, it was a financial event. A, a pandemic is a slow-motion disaster. You can see it coming off in the distance. We saw it three months ago coming at us, knew that it would be here, um, which in, it, in and of itself is a little bit comforting because you have a lot of time, but it's also disconcerting because with that comes the inherent responsibility that you'll do everything you can to plan and prepare for that event. And so that's a tremendous weight on the shoulders of all the people who are responsible for the health and welfare of everybody connected to this campus, which is a population of nearly 10,000 people. So you can imagine the amount of activity that's been going on since we took this in earnest at the end of January and decided we were gonna do everything we could to get this campus prepared through our planning and through a number of other measures so that we would have policies ready to go when the time was needed for us to do that. So um, by and large, it's a tremendous difference of what you're faced with. And then in the wake of a pandemic, of course, you have many casualties that are possible. A lot of people that will be sick, some people that will die. That's possible, right? And we see that happening all over the world today. And then the economic disruption, which will be significant. Uh, small businesses, some will not survive this. Um, the cessation of, of uh, sales activities and people not going to restaurants. You know, some of these people, um, they, they may not be able to sustain 
uh, a three to four week um, termination of their their typical events because social gatherings are not allowed and there, there may be more draconian measures that the government may impose at the state or federal level that will just lock us all down and make us sitting on our couches for two to three weeks. That's going to hurt the economy bad. So um, it'll be widespread in many ways. It affects the whole globe. We're all involved in this at the same time. So things can, things will get worse before they get better. But you see a silver lining in it. We were talking about that before we started that this will come to an end at some point. And you had a very positive outlook at when athletics could possibly see the field again. Yeah, so some of the misunderstanding is just how long is this going to last. Um, in, in my way of thinking, it's not three to four weeks. It's more like three to four months where we'll be disrupted. Uh, the things that are normal uh, will we'll have a new normal. You know, we already stopped classes. We've gone to a complete online format. Um, we're canceling all campus events. OVC has, has done its thing and said, no more competitions. There won't be any champions this year. Um, you know, the spring season is basically done. Um, so where does that leave us in the aftermath of this? And I think uh, it leaves us in a couple of places. Number one, with uh, a hunger to get back to business what I call normalcy. We all want to get back to normalcy. And that's, that's really important that we're thinking positive and thinking that way. And the other thing is, is that uh, I think what we found in the wake of the tornado is it made us more resilient. It made us a stronger team. Um, disasters bring out the best in people, hopefully not the worst in some, but it does, it does happen. A tornado definitely brings out the best in people. Everybody wants to do what they can do to help. A pandemic, I'm not so sure it's going to be that way, but I, I have faith in people, and I have faith in this institution. And so what I see is us emerging from this stronger and more resilient. Now we have tremendous disaster experience. We've lived through and recovered from a tornado. We're normal again, and now we're faced with a pandemic. We're going to get through this, too, because we're doing all the right things, and we'll come back to work and to our team programs and activities with a hunger for just living life to its fullest. And so I'm very optimistic about the future. One of the things that I feel like is on my mind and uh, many of uh, us that have student workers under us is that spring break's been extended. And I know there's some students that are going to take advantage of that and stay home and stay away from the virus. However, then you also have some that are going to take advantage of those very cheap flights and they want to go to the beach. And so what would you tell those kids that maybe aren't taking this as seriously as they should? And I'm not saying to panic, but it's also a serious issue that needs to be thought about and maybe make better plans than to try to go away from spring break. Yeah, so everything I read says that you should avoid any sort of recreational travel. It's nice to, to live in a free society, but it's also one of these things where times have changed enough so that I think the prudent thing to do is to not travel. And I know that's going to be hard for people. But uh, if you want to stay in the game, stay home and, and, and figure out a way to get through this to hunker down. Uh, that's my advice to everybody. Anything you do that brings you into contact with more people will increase your risk. One of the things we do know about this particular disease is that the people who are in the younger demographic uh, in those profiles, uh, they're less affected 
but they're still apt to become ill, and it's not going to be fun. It certainly won't be in a cakewalk. If you can remember the last time you had the flu, it would be like that and maybe a little bit worse, depending on your own health status at the time. But then what you have to remember, too, is that you may be giving this to somebody who's in a, in a higher risk profile, somebody in your own family. It could be grandma. It could be grandpa. It could be your own parents. Uh, it may be a relative that has a compromised immune system or has cardiovascular disease or hypertension, and those are the people who tend to be the most affected by this. So I would encourage you to do everything you can to isolate yourself uh, and, and to listen to all the good advice that's coming out. You'll get sick and tired of this term social distancing, but it's actually the key to success. Somewhat of a two-pronged question. You've been telling people to wash their hands until you're blue in the face. And I think that that's something that people already know, Germex and things like that. But prong number one is what do people need to do to continue to stay healthy? And then secondly, I think a lot of people have heard a lot about preparedness and how you keep from getting the virus. But if in the event that you do feel sick and you do feel like that you might have something, then what's the next step that you need to take? Yeah, so prevention is really important, and, and I would just stress good hygiene and practice social distancing, all the things that will keep you from getting it. But if you do become sick, realize there are many things right now that are circulating out there. We, we have flu, we have adenovirus, we have colds, we have allergy season. All of that stuff is circulating right now, and this is all mixed into that background. It's hard to pick that out. But if you feel sick, what's important for you to know is if you're feeling really poorly, what you should do is you should go to your primary health care provider or to the student health center because that's where you're going to get the answers to your medical concerns. And so what I would encourage you to do is to seek that out. And by doing that, um, you'll get the right answers in terms of what you need to do next. If it turns out that your clinical presentation is such that it's uh, a COVID-19 test is warranted, you'll get it. It will go into the system, and unfortunately, the system, your wait will be five to six days to get an answer. But if it's important for you to go there to get that kind of advice, then I, I encourage you to do that. And if the healthcare provider tells you you need to go into self-isolation until we get the results of your test, then by all means do that because you don't want to be infecting your classmates, your family members, your friends, you just want to do the right thing here. Okay, so your healthcare provider has the right answers for you. I'm not here to give you medical advice. I'm not a clinician. But what I'm telling you is that we have the support mechanisms here on this campus and in this community so that you can get the right attention that you need. And Dr. Ryan, lastly, we talked about how great the communication has been from the president's Thank office, you. from your task force in keeping everyone informed. And all of the stuff that we've talked about can mostly be found on the website. You guys have created a specific page for that. There's videos from you telling people what they can do. How do they find that web page and what all's on that? So if you go to the JSU homepage and you scroll down below the, the, the place where the pictures, at the top of the page, the pictures scroll, you go down below there, you'll find four tiles underneath that. The tile that's immediately to the left is marked coronavirus. And everything that you want to know there... Um, it will be found in that area. And what we decided to do is to break that up, that web page up into three specific areas that one for students, one for faculty and staff, and one for the general population. 
um, because we think that, you know, as students, you may be looking for some very specific information that pertains to you. And so we put it there. And then the same thing would hold true for faculty and staff. Dr. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, as uh, this progresses, we may have you on, give us another update and hopefully uh, some more good news as we go along. Well, thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Behind the Beak. We'll be back next week with a very special guest, Jason Burnell, who is two-year letter winner here with Jacksonville State Basketball. He's in his first year as a pro basketball player playing over in Italy, one of the countries that is most affected by this coronavirus. They're on lockdown. JB is spending his time in his apartment playing video games, staying isolated, and we got him on the phone, and we're going to talk to him, and I think that'll be a fantastic interview that you'll really enjoy. That'll be on next week's episode of Behind the Beak. That will drop on Tuesday. So until then, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.